Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. I want to share with you all a very interesting pattern in the scriptures that has great implication for our lives. Brandon, something clicked for me this year that I hadn't quite put together in its fullness. And once, once it hit me, I was like, wow, that's really cool. So I want to share it with you in hopes that it will bless you and encourage you today. Okay, so John chapter 8, we read uh, about this story about Yeshua. Yeshua, of course, on this earth, he interacted with a lot of people, good, bad, and indifferent. Uh, and, uh, and in this case, he was confronted with a situation because there was this woman who was caught in adultery. And they brought this woman before Yeshua, threatening to stone her, and they asked Yeshua what he thought. Clearly, contextually, and it says it in fact, they were trying to trap Yeshua re- regarding what his reply would be. And so here's this woman caught in adultery, uh, and they said, hey, Yeshua, we're, we're going to stone this woman. What do you think? Uh, they kind of caught him in this situation. Yeshua responds, John chapter 8, verse 7. When they kept asking him, he stood up and said, the sinless one among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he knelt down again and continued riding on the ground. Wow. Hmm. Now, when they heard, they began to leave one by one, the oldest ones first, until Yeshua was left alone with the woman in the middle. Straightening up, Yeshua said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Yeshua said. Go and sin no more. To me, it's one of the most beautiful stories in the whole Bible right there. Very, very powerful and intense. This woman caught in this sin. But Yeshua makes it clear here that he is much more willing to show mercy. He reveals here in the scripture that that is primary in his nature. I want all of you to get that. I want for all of you to to receive that point in the story. God wants to show mercy. If you will, he wants to give us a second chance. It's in his heart to do so. 
What does he tell her? Go and sin no more. To make a change. To dedicate herself to being better. To seeking righteousness in her life. And to follow God. (laughs) Interesting concept. Interesting thought that certainly has application in our lives. But I want us to dig into this a little bit deeper. Let's go to Psalm 51, please. And hear about this other guy who you are also intimately familiar with. Melech David, we say, David, Melech Israel, right? Okay, absolutely. So King David, David, Melech Israel, David, the king of Israel, was a great man. Scriptures tell us that King David was a man after God's own heart. You don't get much higher praise than that. That's from God himself, right? He's saying that King David was a man after my heart. But King David sinned terribly, terribly. He desired Bathsheba, committed adultery, and then had her husband killed. I don't think I have to tell you that that's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, you're knocking off the, the Ten Commandments in, the, in like in the order of the biggies, right? You know, it's, <laughs> man, you're doing some bad stuff right there, David. It's, that's not just a little messed up, y'all. That's, that's really bad messed up. Oh, my goodness. That's about as bad as you can get. Then he was confronted by Nathan, Nathan, Nathan the prophet, who called him out. The Lord had Nathan call him out in a scene that is absolutely better than anything that Hollywood could have come up with. It's a profound scene. Oof, boy, I want to watch it in heaven, but I, but I don't want to be with David when I watch it, though. You know, it's like, you know, make sure David's not around. We've got to see the replay of that. That's, that was an intense moment, man, when Nathan confronted David about this. How would King David respond? There's a reason why David was called a man after God's heart, even with all that. Psalm 51, verse 3. Here's King David's response, part of it, just part of it, part of his prayer to God in repentance. King David says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your mercy calls on God's mercy. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I'll skip to verse 12. He continues to say, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Take not your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. Very quick one sentence side note yet again. The Holy Spirit, and I'm in the Tanakh, explicitly. 
Friends, King David repented. He repented hard. King David repented hard for what he did. There are a couple of words that are part of his repentance that I want to point out. Man, his repentance. Y'all, let me tell you something. When you repent, repent. When you ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. You know, we had a great lesson. We had a great lesson in Washington, D.C. this week about how not to repent, which is repenting kind of, but making a lot of excuses and equivocating along the way. No, 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 don't do that. Don't play that game with God. God, I'm so sorry that I did that, but you know the pressure I was under and, uh, and after all, the, you know, the, this was presented to me and, you know, what could I do? I, no, 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 <laughs> don't play games with God. No, when you repent, repent, this is an example. Psalm chapter 51 is an example of how to repent completely, unequivocally, without excuses. A couple of words I want to point out in his repentance. One was, wash me. Wash me. When he says, wash me, I, I think of soap, right? You know, uh, you, if you were of a certain generation, you, you may have had your mouth cleaned out with it at one point or another. <laughs> I'm sure kids today would find that abusive. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm saying. But wash me. I think he probably, I think King David probably knew he needed every part of him washed at that point. You know, so wash me. There's a cleansing he's looking for. In fact, he says that another word that he uses is cleanse me. And then he says, renew me. Renew, renewal. And then he says, restore, restore, restore. Do you see the different parts of, of, of repentance and what it is that he's specifically going for? And he calls specifically on God's great mercy. What, what do these words convey? To me, they convey a heart that that kind of wants to restart, that knows that he blew it, that knows that he blew it bad, <laughs> but he wants to restart, to get another chance, renew me, restore me. It's like he's saying, God, please, I beg of you, give me another chance, watch. Give me another opportunity. I'm going to try again harder. That's the sense we get from King David's repentance. Absolutely beautiful. It's incredibly beautiful passage. First Kings chapter 8, please. First Kings 8. I'm going to move on to a, a different story. And I'm going to connect all of these things, uh, a different story. And I'm going to talk about great-grandpa, who am I talking about? Of course, King Solomon. <laughs> yeah, boy, I remember when I used to sit on King Solomon's lap when I was a little kid. And he used to sing songs and uh, paleo-Hebrew to me. It was really amazing. 
<laughs> when King Solomon built the temple, y'all, the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, it was the most amazing building ever built in the history of the world. I gave a message on this many years ago, and I, I did a kind of back-of-the-envelope calculation of the value of this one small, relatively small building. It was big, but and, and it's, it surpasses any building. It had so much gold in it, y'all. And it was just so beautiful that he built for God this temple, that the, and the Lord was pleased. He was pleased with Solomon. He was pleased with this building. And when the temple was dedicated to God, so they had their, their temple, the temple dedication. I remember the de- dedication of this building back in, in 1900 and a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> some of you who are here today were at that dedication. You remember. It's incredible, incredible. And, and, and when the temple in Jerusalem was dedicated to God, Melch Shlomo, King Solomon, shared a very profound prayer. His prayer to God during the dedication of the temple was epic, no question. In it, he said a number of interesting things, but he said something in particular quite interesting. I want you to listen to part of the words of his prayer. It's a fairly lengthy prayer, but I want you to listen to some of the words of his prayer, and I want you to pick up on something as we, as we read through it that I'm going to allude to. But I think the word of God is important, by the way, if you may notice, if you're a visitor here, if you're watching online, listening on a podcast, I read a lot of word when I speak. Why? Because, listen, I'm not, I'm not quite so arrogant to think that my words are going to change things, as you sometimes see. No, no, no. I, I think it's the words of God that change things. I'm, I'm just trying to share them with you and put them maybe in a little perspective. First Kings chapter 8, verse 46. Here are part of the words of the prayer of Solomon when he's dedicating the temple. So he's praying to God, and he says what? When he's dedicating the temple in Jerusalem 3,000 years ago, he says this, if they, being the, the, the people of Israel, if they sin against you, for there is no man that does not sin, So if they sin against you and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy and their captors carry them away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near, yet if they take it to the heart in the land which they have been carried captive and they repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captors saying, we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly. And they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them into exile. And they pray to you toward their land that you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, that's Jerusalem, and the house which I have built for your name. Then here's his request to God. Then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, Maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you as well as their transgressions that they have transgressed against you and grant them mercy before their captors so they may have mercy on them. Wow, boy. Man, what a prayer. Man, King Solomon was a praying fool. 
He could, he could lift up some prayers. That, but that prayer was prescience. Why? What happened? Exactly like King Solomon predicted. It was really prophetic. It was a prophetic prayer. Exactly like King Solomon predicted the children of Israel went astray from God. Exactly like he was praying about. He said, hey, God, if this happens and they turn away from you, please hear them, have mercy on them. And if they turn back to you, I mean, he's sitting in front of a brand new, this thing hasn't even had the, 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 the paint chipped. It's a brand new building. You'd think it'd be solely focused on, wow, what a great building I built. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? Don't you like it, God? No, he's already, <laughs> he knows why he says everybody is sin. So if our people, like in the future sometimes, sin against you and, they, and, 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 and they're taken away captive, please hear them. Remember, if they turn back to this place, the Amidah is facing where? There. Exactly because of this, right? You read this. Facing Jerusalem, facing Israel, facing the temple. He says, if they, if they do that, please be merciful upon them. And exactly like King Solomon predicted, the children of Israel went astray from God. And the temple, that beautiful temple that he had just built, was indeed destroyed by the Babylonians. How tragic, how horrific. This great place and the temple was symbolic, too. It was symbolic of what? It was symbolic of God meeting with us. It's the place where God came down to earth to meet with man. Powerful spot. Destroyed due to our disobedience. Sad. But remember, there was a clause. <laughs> Solomon was smart, Sophia. Solomon put a clause in his prayer, right? He, Solomon knew there was a specific clause inserted even into that dedication prayer of the building, allowing for second chances. Even in the dedication prayer for a future Rededication. Ezra chapter 3. This is all going to come together. And indeed, what happened? The temple was destroyed. They were taken off into Babylon, into captivity. Dr. Garber knows about that. He studies the word of God. Man, that guy knows a lot about the Bible. That's the guitar player. Wow. You think he's good on guitar? You should see how he flips through the Bible. It's, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> On a smartphone, of course. <laughs> uh. So indeed, we know after, after the years of captivity, there came a time when the temple would indeed be rebuilt. The children of Israel had been banished, but they began to return, to return back to their ancestral homeland, considering they are the indigenous people there. A side note. And then they began to rebuild the temple. 
And listen to the account of how the temple was to be rebuilt. Listen to this. We're just going to read part of it. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. When the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of Adonai, the Kohanim, or priests, arrayed in their vestments and with clarions, and the Levite, son of Asaph, with cymbals, were stationed to praise Adonai as prescribed by King David of Israel. Wow. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to Adonai, for he is good, for his mercy upon Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to Adonai, because the foundation of the house of Adonai had been laid. Ooh, y'all, this is big time stuff. What was happening? The temple was being built by Zerubbabel and the other leaders. How exciting it was. The people were rejoicing. The foundation is laid to the temple, and they were celebrating. Now, it took some time. There were a few delays along the way, but eventually the temple was eventually rebuilt. A few chapters later, Ezra chapter 6, go there. In Ezra 6, we read about the temple being finally completed and dedicated. Ezra 6, verse 16, it says this. Then the 6.16, then the sons of Israel, the Kohanim, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, corresponding to the number of the tribes of Israel. Listen, hooray! The temple existed once more. Hooray! This is good news. The temple had been rebuilt, a place for God and man to meet together again was established. It was quite a great moment. It was a, it was a thing of great blessing. It was a cause for celebration. It was a restoration, a restoration of not only the temple, it was a restoration of their hearts, of the people, of the nation. It was a time of, of for, for great celebrating why God had been merciful as it says. God even said in Ezra that the latter house would be greater than the first. It was a real second chance. It was a real second chance to get right with God. And our people took hold of it. And our people took hold of it, a real miracle. It was a miracle and it was a season of great joy as the temple was rebuilt. Wow, what a moment, what a moment. However, <laughs> this joy would not last forever, sadly. Why? You know the story. The Assyrian Greek Empire took over. And although that building still stood, ooh, ooh, they did some nasty, naughty stuff to it. Because that's when Israel was fully the occupied territories, occupied by the Assyrian Greeks. And although the Jewish people were, were, were still there, there was incredible persecution. And, uh, and what did the Assyrian Greeks do with the temple? They put a statue of Zeus in the temple. And they began sacrificing pigs there. Listen, I'm going to tell you, it's not at all kosher. <laughs> it's, 
That's a no-no. <laughs> Sacrificing pigs in the temple, y'all. That's, that's, you know, that's so in your face, disgusting, repulsive and revolting and, and, and cruel and mean and brutal. And it reminds me of something from a couple months ago. Just absolute They had the children of Israel under brutal, brutal occupation and slaughter. So what happened? Judah Maccabee and his band of liberators sought to push out the Assyrians. And what happened? They took over. They took back over again. The miracle of miracles, this tiny little band of revolutionaries. These folks doing this guerrilla warfare was able to push out the Assyrian Greeks out of Israel to, to reestablish Jewish control of Israel again. Unbelievable. The Hasmonean era, really remarkable times. And one of the things that they had to do most prominently, of course, was to rededicate the temple. It had been desecrated as you hear. So they had to rededicate the temple. And this is the story, of course. You're familiar with this story. The story was, was revealed or explained many years later, but this is where the oil for the temple menorah was supposed to last one day, but it lasted for eight. As a side note, very, very, very quick side note, of course, uh, the menorah like this was in the temple. Seven branch menorah was in the temple and this was the menorah that gave light that needed the ritually pure oil to provide light inside the temple. And they only had enough for one day, but it lasted eight days, which is why a Hanukkah, which is a Hanukkah menorah, has a total of nine candlesticks, which are the eight days plus the shamus that actually lights the others, the, the eight, the eight and so that's why that one is a total of nine candles. This one's seven, but they, but they are related. Although they're, they're different menorahs. Menorah literally means lamp in Hebrew. They're different lamps, but yet a Hanukkah is related because it had to do with the, the menorah that was in the temple. Okay. But the bigger miracle that happened during the time of the Maccabees, of course, as nice as that miracle certainly was, but the bigger miracle was that the Jewish people had reclaimed the land of Israel and had indeed rededicated the temple. I mean, that was the miraculous thing. That was unbelievable that this tiny little group of people had done this. What was this? And this was yet another second chance. Yeah, third, third, fourth. I mean, how many are we up to at this point? Exactly. This is another chance. This was, of course, the first Hanukkah that we are celebrating even now. This is the holiday we celebrate today and rejoice how God gave us victory over our enemies so that we could again turn toward him. We are, this is exactly what we're celebrating right now is that holiday and that moment in history Powerful, powerful moment when the temple was again rededicated so that we could worship God in our holy place as God himself had prescribed to us. 
John chapter 10, please. John 10. However, we're going to continue the timeline, continue the journey, continue the story just a little bit. Now we're less than 200 years later after the time of the Maccabees. And guess what? Israel was yet again under occupation. This time from the Romans. Israel now is under Roman occupation. The Romans controlled the land of Israel. But the temple still existed and they still had some level of autonomy. It was not quite as bad as when the Greeks, uh, the Assyrian Greeks were in control. They still had some autonomy and they were able to celebrate Hanukkah, which commemorated this great revolt by the Maccabees to take over Israel and Jerusalem again and rededicate the temple. How do we know this? John chapter 10 tells us exclusively and and explicitly. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 22, it says, then came Hanukkah. Some translations say the Feast of Dedication. It was winter in Jerusalem. Makes sense. Yeshua was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade. And if you look at the, in John chapter 10, if you look at the Greek word for a, the Hanukkah holiday, the Hanukkah holiday, it's inkainia, inkainia, and what is that? It's a Greek word. Literally means renewal. It means dedication. It means rededication. That's the word that's used in Greek for the holiday of Hanukkah. And indeed, of course, the word Hanukkah in Hebrew means dedication. That's what Hanukkah means. So we know that Yeshua was celebrating Hanukkah, which only makes sense, y'all. Because the temple was different back then, and as much as the temple during the time of Yeshua no longer had the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy Holy, but yet God still called, Yeshua still called it my father's house. So was it still holy? Yeah, you betcha, it still was. And that place is still holy to this very day, by the way. Places matter, by the way. That place matters most of all. Beloved, we are here at Hanukkah. We light the the Hanukkiot. We eat latkes. (laughs) We, We spend the dreidel. But there's a lesson here for us that is deep and meaningful. Because at Hanukkah, we celebrate the rededication of the temple. That's what we're celebrating. That's what the Hanukkah holiday is, is about. They, again, they tried to kill us, right? We won and we rededicated the, the temple. And the name of the holiday is Hanukkah, which means dedication or rededication. And what is the word dedication referring to? It's referring to the temple. It's, there's, there's some dripping irony here that does relate to even the current situation going on right now in the Middle East. Yet we know that, again, just a few years, just a few years, 40 years, after Yeshua was there in the temple in his day, that temple, too, would be destroyed. That temple, too, would be destroyed. Yet we know that all hope is not lost. (laughs) Why? The Bible tells us 
the temple will stand again. It will. It's written in the book. How's that going to work? I don't know. (laughs) It's above my pay grade. (laughs) But I know it. But more than this, oh, here we go. I want to start pulling it in together in a way that hopefully is going to be revelatory for you and is going to help you look at this in a different way, in a new light. But more than this, we see a pattern unfolding for us. I want you to check out the pattern. Think about this as a pattern. The temple was built by King Solomon. In King Solomon's prayer, his dedication prayer, he knew that all sinned. And he asked for an allowance of second chances for when we messed up, that we could be brought back into relationship with God. And we saw that happen with Zerubbabel and the building of the second temple. And that second chance came. And guess what? It happened again with the Maccabees during Hanukkah and another chance that our people got as we rededicated the temple, another opportunity to rededicate ourselves to God. Totally cool. But we also saw the woman who was caught in adultery. And we also saw This in the story of King David and what happened to him. These two were people who were caught doing things that were not pleasing to God. These two were people that also needed second chances. They also needed to be rededicated to God so that his purpose in their lives might be realized. And this brings me to my final point in Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. Wow, and this is, this is a, a Hanukkah word that I want to encourage you with today, that I want to bless you with. As you think about your life and this holiday, which is so special. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says this. It's such a great proverb. Also by Solomon, it says, For though the righteous one may fall seven times, he gets up again. But the wicked stumble in adversity. Friends, this passage does not say the wicked one falls seven times. No, 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 no. It says the righteous one, the righteous one. 
may fall seven times. I'm going to tell you who that means. That means you. It's talking about you. It's talking about me. People who've given their lives to God and who believe in God. That means those of us trying to live a life pleasing to God. Yet we too will fall and make mistakes. You too are going to fall and make mistakes at times. We too blow it on occasion. As we've seen in the scriptures time and time again, yet the word says that though the righteous may fall seven times, he gets up again. In other words, you have to know that God is a God of second chances. And third and fourth and fifth. And even more than that, So that when you sin, when you blow it, and like Solomon said, you're going to blow it, all sin, when you make the wrong choices, oh, beloved, get ready to feel this. I want you to feel what I'm about to say. When you mess up, God does not abandon you. God does not discard you. I'm talking about when you mess up and are disobedient to him. Think about David. Think about this woman. Think about how you might have messed up. And when you think about how you might have messed up, it might have been at work. It might have been with your spouse. It might have been with your kids. It might have been something years ago. It could have been something that happened on the way here today. any area in your life, think about when you messed up. Then remember the story of Yeshua and the sinful woman. He wants to show you mercy. He wants to show you mercy. He wants for you to have a second chance. But you have to purpose and go and sin no more. In other words, don't do it again. And beloved, guess what? That's really the story of Hanukkah. It's really at its core, the story of Hanukkah. Brandon, getting back to what I was saying, I hadn't seen it in this way, but it started to connect. The pieces started connecting for me. This is really the story of Hanukkah. Hanukkah means dedication, rededication. It's a story about getting another chance despite our blowing it time after time. So during this Hanukkah, don't be discouraged if you don't get it all right. Don't be down if you're not perfect. No one is. The point is that you have to get up again. You got to get up again. You have to try harder. You can't give up. You have to, wait for it, rededicate yourself to go and sin no more. Because God's mercies are new every morning. 
That's the story of Hanukkah. That's the miracle of Hanukkah. That's the story of our Messiah. And guess what? That's the story of you. The title of my message is Second Chances of Hanukkah. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if there's anyone here today who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah. If that is you, then wow, how about today? God is a God of second chance. He wants to be merciful. He wants to forgive you. If you're here and you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah, but you'd like to raise your hand and we'll pray together. If that's you and you've never, God bless you. I see that. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, God bless you. Listen, it's the best decision you'll ever make. We had a, a Jewish man last week raise his hand and say yes. We have a Jewish woman this week raising her hand to say yes. Anybody else? Wonderful. Who else? Anybody else want to say that? <laughs> Praise God. Let's all stand to our feet. And I'd like for anybody who raised their hand, or if you couldn't get your hand up, I want you to repeat this simple prayer after me. And as you do, the Lord will change you on the inside. And you will be different. God is merciful. He loves you. Things, come to, things are coming together, and you understand the mercy of God. It all connects. Thank you, Lord. So you only have to say the prayer once, but we're all going to repeat it just because we want to support you. Every, let's everyone say, Dear God, I humble myself before you. I ask Yeshua into my heart, believing he's risen again. Please forgive me my sins. I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, God. And I ask these things in Yeshua's name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We are celebrating today because it's the best decision that you ever made. And maybe you couldn't quite get your hand up. But if you said that prayer for the first time, I want you to see me right after the service. I want to share some encouraging things with you and just to celebrate with you. Best decision you ever made. Let's all give the Lord praise for this great day. Wow, as the musicians uh, are playing in the background on this Hanukkah, this, this feast of dedication and rededication, how beautiful to see someone dedicate their life to God, right? Lord, I pray for all the rest of us, Lord. Lord, that have gone through this, that, or the other and have fallen short at times. Lord, just like Solomon prayed, Lord, I pray for these second chances, for people not to feel inadequate or less than uh, or that you don't care for them. No, no, no. For them to know, Lord, that Hanukkah represents second chances. And so, Lord, I pray for everybody here, no matter what it is that they're going through, Lord, that you encourage them, that you uplift them with the knowledge, Lord, that they have, Lord, a second chance with you. Why? Because you desire to show mercy. Thank you, Lord, for this special holiday. We bless you for this. 
And we ask these things, B'Shem Yeshu, in the name of Messiah Yeshu, we pray, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethhalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom. Nine, 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 nine.